When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous walrus, the bulbous walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Is This Real Life, a Bravo podcast that relates the quirkiest aspects of reality TV to our own lives. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, real lifers. Welcome to episode 115. It has been quite a week and I am just so excited about Sheena's pregnancy. I know this sounds crazy, but you know, I said a few weeks ago that her and I had been corresponding, DMing on Instagram and, you know, kind of comparing notes and talking to each other about being diagnosed with a diminished ovarian reserve. And so I know how much it means to her to get pregnant right now because, you know, she was told that in the future it may not be possible, which is why she went through the egg freezing process and why I am currently going through that process. So just huge mazel tov to Sheena and Brock. So excited for them. In some other Bravo news, Southern Charm started this week. I don't recap it this week, but um, we'll be recapping it on and off throughout the season, especially when there are important episodes um, discussing things like Black Lives Matter and all of that. Not very excited about this first episode because Thomas Ravenel is featured in it, and I just don't think he should be on Bravo in any way, shape, or form, so... Not too happy about that. What I am excited about is The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. I cannot wait. Their taglines came out this week, and I actually think they are the best taglines of any franchise season one ever. So we've got Jen Shaw, who says, In this town, I'm Queen B and MVP. Lisa Barlow I just, this one's amazing. When you take cheap shots, expect a hangover. And that is just, I love, it means so many different things, but it's true. You know, when was the last time you took a really cheap shot? It is the worst feeling in the world the next day, not just being hungover, but drinking really low quality alcohol. And I'm excited to see, you know, Lisa kind of hit back against some cheap shots against her. 
We've got Whitney Rose, who's the one that I think I know the least about, but I'm very curious. She says, this Rose isn't scared to handle a little prick. (laughs) And then Meredith uh, Marks, who says, jealousy is a disease to which I say, get well soon. Now, Meredith is the one I'm the most curious about besides Mary, because Meredith says that she's Jewish by heritage, but Mormon by choice. And she also referred to herself as a Jew for Jesus, which has a very interesting connotation in the Jewish community. We don't really like believe there are Jews for Jesus. Those are like Christians. <laughs> but, you know, whatever floats her boat, whatever makes her happy. Um, excited to see how she may showcase her Jewish ethnicity on the show, if at all. But it'll, it'll be interesting. Um, then we've got Mary Cosby, the one who married her step-grandfather. She says, I love God, but I will read you like a scripture. Oh, man, this woman is, I think she kind of goes toe-to-toe with Jen Shaw, and I'm very interested to see if they have kind of a frenemy relationship like Giselle and Karen, or if it's just truly two kind of queen bees butting heads. Um, And then Heather Gay, uh, just like my pioneer ancestors, I'm trying to blaze a new trail. So love the shout out to her Mormon ancestors who blazed a new trail, Brigham Young, all the way out to Utah. I'm just really excited for this show. I think it is going to be fantastic. And it is exactly what we deserve after this year of absolute hell that we have been going through. Now, I normally don't recap shows that are not on Bravo um, in this podcast, but just wanted to make a few comments about this year's Bachelorette. So the Bachelorette is Clara Crawley, and she's 39. She's the oldest Bachelorette they've ever had. And I think she's dealing with a lot of unique challenges, right? This is happening during quarantine. They're not able to do these cool dates and travel. And her father died uh, many years back, but her mother is like currently actively dying. She has advanced Alzheimer's and lives in a a assisted living facility. And um, it just sounds like things are progressing poorly. And so I'm trying to keep all of that in mind when I watch her on the show and I have a lot more empathy for her than I think a lot of other viewers do who just want to be entertained and I think appreciate a bachelorette who's a little more indecisive and who is able to kind of trick us into thinking she likes a lot more than just one person even though we've known in the past that a lot of bachelorettes thinking about like Andy, for example, she knew from day one she was interested in Josh and Josh only. And I think that this is going to be a controversial take, but like while Claire is not doing herself any favors by obsessing with the first guy she basically had a decent connection with, Dale, I think the producers are doing her dirty. Like, 
Tasha will be a fantastic bachelorette when she takes over this week. But she had been there quarantining from just about the beginning. And so they had to have had an inclination that maybe they would get rid of Claire as the bachelorette. And I just feel like they're trying to make us believe that she wanted to leave on her own with Dale. And I don't think she really wanted that. And I also feel like they're giving her the worst possible edit and encourage viewers that watch the show to look at when you hear her voice, but you don't see her mouth move. Because that's called frankenbiting, where they take words that she said and string it together to sound like a sentence and to make it seem like she said it right then. And in particular, this past week, she referred to this guy, Dale, that she is just madly in love with as her fiance. But I am pretty sure that was a frankenbite because you didn't see her face, like her lips say the sentence with the word fiance in it. So I just, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I feel like there's a lot of hate for Claire out there. And trust me, I am ready to see Tasha as well. I really like Tasha. I'm excited to see a woman who's been married before on the show. I think she knows what she wants and will be decisive, but will also kind of go along with the framing of the show, which is to date multiple men, not just fixate on one. But I really think that the hate that is being directed at Claire is somewhat misguided. And I think a lot of people are not paying attention to the fact that she is dealing with a lot of personal troubles. And so my heart goes out to her. Now, this coming week is really crazy with the United States elections. And so if you guys are looking for something to take your mind off of the election or some inspiration, I have a couple recommendations. So I've said before that I work in global public health, and it is something that I am very passionate about. Um, And I know everyone has become recently acquainted with the lovely Dr. Tony Fauci, uh, but there is a documentary that he's featured in just a little bit um, that's based in the late 1980s. And I really think everyone should take the time to watch it if you get a chance. It's called How to Survive a Plague. And it's about the HIV AIDS crisis in the United States, particularly in New York City in the late 1980s, early 1990s. And it's about a group of activists and advocates that started ACT UP and the Treatment Action Group, which um, fought to get better research and better you know, United States government coordination on AIDS research and eventually led to the development and discovery of HIV drugs. And Tony Fauci was head of the NIAID, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, um, back starting in 1984. So he had been a few years on the job when these activists had very interesting ways of, you know, doing their advocacy. They had a lot of direct actions. They had a giant condom over a Senator Jesse Helms's house uh, because he was um, very homophobic. They just did a lot of things to get attention. But once they got that attention, they were invited by Tony Fauci to attend research meetings. And they really worked with him hand in hand to help get the 
clinical trials that we needed to eventually get to where we are today with having antiretroviral therapy. So I think it's, you know, it is obviously like a sad documentary to see what happened and what it was like to kind of live through a plague. But at the same time, it is so uplifting to see what they were able to accomplish together and where we are today. And another really cool documentary also about global public health is called Bending the Arc. And this just became available on Netflix. And I just highly recommend it. It is about three friends who met when they were in medical school, Dr. Paul Farmer, Ophelia Dahl, and Jim Young Kim. And they started traveling to Haiti and eventually founded a group called Partners in Health that helps bring advanced medical care to people in low-resource settings. And they were constantly told, oh, you can't treat these poor people the way that they would get treated if they were in a hospital in Boston. And these three doctors were like, um, no, what, who's to say we can't do that? So it's so uplifting. Um, there is a man in the film named Maquieres from Peru, who I actually had the pleasure of meeting multiple times. And in um, my old job, I was actually able to get him to come to the United Nations and speak at a high-level meeting on tuberculosis. And he talks about how his life was saved by being able to get access to these drugs to fight drug-resistant tuberculosis. So I think it's really uplifting and kind of you can see what can happen with, you know, activism and advocacy and just how we all can work together to overcome health challenges and public health challenges. And right now we're just undergoing so many challenges with COVID. And I think it's sometimes hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think these documentaries make a good case for kind of understanding what it's like to live through a plague, a massive pandemic, but also all of the great work that can be done to overcome it. So if you get a chance and you're interested, they're Bending the Arc on Netflix and How to Survive a Plague, which I think you can access on Amazon. All right. I feel like I just talked for a long time. As always, I encourage you guys to follow me on social media at ITRL underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter and at Mandy Slutsker and my personal Twitter. I'm always there. And if you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and give it a five-star review, write some nice comments, make me smile. It helps the podcast and just helps make my day. This week's podcast guest is Derek Pence, and he is just fabulous. He lives in the D.C. Maryland area. He's a drag performer, and he just has a lot to say, especially about Vanderpump Rules, which he wrote his thesis on. We chat about that a bit, and then we just get really down and deep into this week's Potomac, and he actually has met multiple of the women on The Real Housewives of Potomac while he was doing drag performances. So he chats about that. All right, guys, here it is my conversation with Derek. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Derek Pence, who is a DC Baltimore based drag performer, Zenovia Darling. He just graduated from Towson University with a degree in theater. And 
I can't wait to ask him about his thesis, which involved Vanderpump rules. How are you doing, Derek? Doing pretty good. So it's a nice day today. So I'm ready to talk Bravo, the thing I love more than anything ever. Like I theatrically study it. So I feel like, you know, get to use my like scholarly brain and my theater brain to like dissect these people. So I read your thesis. It was amazing. It was so incredible. I figured like Vanderpump Rules is a masterpiece. I mean, it's like a Shakespearean tragedy mixed with like an Oscar Wilde, like aspirational comedy, like of this like pursuit to aspirational living. Because you don't watch those idiots to like, as like to aspire to be them. You watch them to hate them. And it's like, it's it's so good. I could, ugh, I love Jax. I love Dodie, all of them. I know it's so problematic liking these people, but it's like, I love them for like the wrong reason. I have such a catharsis watching them. It's just, it's amazing. So, I mean, there is no judgment for me. My dog is named Stassi. And (laughs) for her poor behavior as a puppy. (laughs) I get that. I think I would call her a white bitch or something or like you're. Yeah, she's a little white bitch. I love that. (laughs) So. I was reading your thesis, and you asked the question, was Oscar Wilde a 19th century pump head? And you compare the importance of being earnest, a dark aspirational comedy, to Vanderpump Rules, saying that we watch knowing that the characters are desperate and villainous people. I, like, expand upon that. This is so fascinating. Oh, yeah. So we don't watch Vanderpump Rules because they're good people. We watch them because they're just monsters. I mean, (laughs) every single one of them. I think it was, I think Ben and Ronnie from Watch What Crappens, they call it the lazy Susan of awful. Because it's like, they all are just like, you go to root for one and then you think back and you're like, wait a minute, you can't root for them because they're also bad too. And it goes back to this old like Plato theatrical theory where like when two enemies do monstrous deeds to each other it comes across as comedy like it's at it's at work with like the show veep and whatnot like it comes off there like Mm -hmm. on a scripted show but on a reality show it's vanderpump rules and to a little bit i'm kind of watching orange county this season with that in mind i'm kind of watching it knowing that like kelly dodd is a monster and i noticed it's then like even though I don't agree with anything she says it definitely has been helping me like digest it and whatnot but you know that's pretty much it. And I do think Oscar Wilde, if he was around today, he would watch Bravo. He would be on podcast talking about it. He would be <laughs> writing about it. Like he would probably write like amazing plays. Like I would love to see him like dissect Roni and dissect Vanderpump rules. I, he would be such a pump head. It's just so funny. Cause I do find at least going back with Vanderpump rules, there are characters or pieces of characters that I do identify with. Like, you know, when Lala loses her dad and when Jax loses his mm-hmm. dad and, you know, hearing from Ariana and her loss, like those are things that I think we all can internalize and, and I don't know, relate to. But then seeing how awful Lala continuously is to like Sheena and James's girlfriend Raquel, it's just like, why do you do this? Like, why are you oh, yes. unable? Like, why do you have to be so mean to people? Yes. And it's like, why, like, what is motivating these people is what I always want to go. Like, I think it, 
I think there's so much at work. I mean, there's this whole like, like I watch it, like I'm a drag performer. So I'm around people that do drugs a lot. And I, I you know, I don't do drugs. It's like, I, yeah. I, I can like spot it like, um, like easily. And I watch the show and I'm like, clearly there's, they, they drink like, like, you know, frat people. Like it's crazy the amount they drink. And I know there's other drugs going on. So I think that adds to it. Plus you have like a whole, right. I mean, I think you have a whole DSM based on Vanderpump rules. I mean, you have everything there. It's, it's, it's pretty fun to watch from that standpoint yeah it's also interesting because if you go back to season one they're telling you that their motivation is fame right like they're all working at this restaurant but their goal is to become famous for either being a model or in a band or a pop star and uh you know Stassi wants to be a writer (laughs) the whole thing is like oh and it is oh it's so it's so cringy it's cringy, but yes. it's like makes you think that everyone in LA is is seeking this and that's what brings them together. Yes. And it's so cringy to watch when you hear Sandoval go, I want to be Michael Jackson. I want to be on that level. And you're just like, wait a minute. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. But <laughs> the ironic thing about, about it all is you know, they have made it like they are, you know, I think they all just they all move to the valley. They're living like million dollar houses now. Like they actually have made it being influencers and being a star on the show, which is like pretty like it's a pretty fascinating thing to look at, like from like from like a what is it? Sociology standpoint. It's like yeah. kind of like such a glimpse into our society nowadays and kind of like, t- you know, all of that and kind of what's motivating everyone and kind of what we view as an aspirational life. And then you have Lisa Vanderpump, who represents like the aspirational living that these people want to be that, you know, and so she acts bad, like Lady Bracknell on The Real House of Beverly Hills, but on Vanderpump Rules, she's this like capitalist, matriarchal, pernicious mother figure to everyone. And I love saying pernicious just because of Camille, because I'm such a like a, a writing person that when she said, it, I'm like, oh, pernicious. So it's just, I, I love watching it from that standpoint, because most theater, like Oscar Wilde's The Importance of Being Earnest, it is like a snapshot of Victorian London. And Lady Bracknell, that notorious character, she's a real housewife of Victorian London. So it's like, you know, you kind of apply all of those things to Vanderpump Rules and all of the theater is there. And I almost want to see what an, what a staging of Importance of Being Earnest would look like done as a reality show. Because they have like Gwendolyn Cecily in The Importance of Being Earnest, they have diaries and whatnot that are like complete lies and whatnot. They want to leave their legacy. And it, that to me reads as social media on it. So there's mm-hmm. like so many things involved with status and this like pursuit to aspirational living with Vanderpump that I'm just, it makes my theater brain like scream. Like I turned the entire theater department at Towson onto Vanderpump Rules and they're all like, this show is ridiculous, but it's so good. So That's so funny. You, you did write though. Um, Cause I was wondering how, where were you going to kind of end with this um, in your thesis? You said by season eight, the cast through capitalism achieved fame and status and that the emotional stagnation that was so gratifying to watch was gone. And for me, that kind of captured why this last season wasn't so great for the viewers. It was hard. You know, you could say, oh, they brought in new people and they didn't mesh with the old people. But really, there appeared to be some sort of sense of maturity that was at least the characters were trying to convey on screen. And that's not what we were watching the show for. 
So, yes. you know, I feel like you kind of summed it up so nicely that the emotional stagnation that was so gratifying to watch just vanished. Oh, yeah, because you'd have the reunions and Andy Cohen would hold them accountable and you would watch them squirm. And then it's like they pick up shooting again. Like normally the reunions are filmed like in April and then they start filming in like June. And it's like they haven't grown. So they start the season off and you're like, wait a minute, what? And that was like so amazing because it's like this reset and then they're all getting plastic surgery and Botox. So they all look the same, even in possibly even crazier. And then it's just like, what happened? And it felt more manufactured. And it was like, the thing that really lost me was they have made it. Like, why don't they let us in on that secret that they have? Like, stop pretending they work at the restaurant. Like, that's yeah. why if, I thought if they rolled cameras up this past season, break the fourth wall instead of centering it around surf, center it around being on Vanderpump Rules. Like, you would still have Lisa being an executive producer, being like their boss, playing that same Lady Bracknell, you know, matriarchal figure puppet master and they're all on the show and they're all thirsty for the show and so earnest for it like that's how i kind of was retoying it i'm like you know if i was a producer that's what i would do because i feel like it would bring all those theatrics back and it would be like a season that would restart vanderpump rules and kind of retoy it because the last two seasons i just it wasn't there and i didn't update my thesis yet after like i submitted it and when i graduated in may i haven't touched it to update it and i'm still trying to formulate how to do it with what happened with uh kristen and stassi but i'm kind of waiting to see what happens but i feel like with it i'm like it's still pretty i think i captured what happened yeah it's what's interesting and i think this goes well beyond vanderpump rules across bravo is that these reality stars that we love right we love we love to hate them we hate to love them they were, have been continuously rewarded for bad behavior. And all of the sudden, some yes. of that bad behavior is not considered acceptable by a majority of society, right? And by a lot of the viewers. So all of a the sudden, they're like, wait, all of this reason you've been following me and that you hired me is because I act out. It's because I say things that are not politically correct. And now you're telling me I need to change? Oh, yes. Because the weird thing is about theater, I mean, theater's on a like its own little microcosm on that stage, whereas these are reality shows, so they're real life. So it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you, you watch it and you're like, wait a minute, they're real people and they're actually putting their lives on camera. Whether it's producer manipulated or not, it still has you know, that, that aspect to it. So yeah, it's like a weird, I think it's something that we're as a society still trying to figure out what to do with these people. Yeah. Cause for so long, and I think Kelly Dodd is the perfect example of her being like, wait, you guys like when I shout, when I scream, when I say things that are really inappropriate and I'm continuing to behave that way. And all of a sudden you're mad at me for it. Yes. You know? I, mean, I remember falling in love with her when she when she was at that dinner and she called, um, I think, Heather the C-word. I'm going to be like, whoa. <laughs> but I'm like, that, I'm like, if someone did that, like, to me, like, that would be, like, like, not fighting, like, violence. But that would be, like, I would turn up and, like, you know, and I think all my friends would do that. So it's one of those, it, it is weird. And then she just, like, continued to do it. So this season... Like, I kind of feel like Bravo is kind of letting her hang herself with the, everything. Like, because yeah. the way they're editing, like, Orange County is they're editing her like 
they would like Jax or something like, cause I kind of watching it and I keep trolling her and showing like, she's talking about um, her daughter drinking, but yet they are showing her talking about it, chugging like this huge glass of wine. So it's like that type of thing comes in. And, and then that's why like um, with Orange County, like I kind of was watching it. I'm like, okay, they, they're, they're pulling in Vanderpump stuff for this to kind of, I feel like they are over her and they just want to make her look bad this season. Cause I feel like this will be her last season. It has to be. I think so too. Well, I know that you do drag performances in the kind of Baltimore DC yes. area. And you said that through this, you've met multiple of the women from the real housewives of Potomac. Like tell me who you met, kind of what they're like. So I have met Monique, I've met Candace, I've met Sharice, and I've had a Giselle sighting. Um, this was all back. There used to be a huge dance club in DC called Town. Oh, um, I live I like three blocks right away. Off Street. <laughs> I oh, literally yes. live and three Town blocks. Like, <laughs> oh, I've had so many fun, fun memories at Town. Like I've never actually performed in drag there, but I mean, all my friends have. And I mean, I always frequented that with all my friends, but about two years ago, I was there and Monique and Candace were there for the drag show. And I remember meeting Monique. She was like one of the nicest people, like out of all the housewives, like I've met, she seemed to be the nicest. She was so warm and friendly. And she was like tipping the performers like with $20 bills, which that to me means a lot to me. Cause I'm like, I'm used to getting ones or fives but she was handing out 20s and she was like participating in the show and like you know and the drag queens were like reading her which you know they just playful banter back and forth she was going along for it she was so much fun she was so nice so that's why when i say everything happened i always have that in the back of my mind and i was like oh but when i met her she was so nice <laughs> i've heard that from a lot of people that she's a nice person and she's very kind yeah. And it's like, she's genuinely nice and kind, yeah. which, you know, like I've, I went to Ramona's like wine signing when I back, I think that was in back in like 2011 when it, I think it was in like McLean or like out in Tyson's or something. And like, I had that interaction with Ramona and she was like a monster. Like, I just <laughs> I remember her being like, just all those stories that people say about Ramona. I remember her being that, like, she just signed the thing and just kind of like, like, I don't even think she said like any, like anything to me. But with Monique, it was like, you know, she was nice and just genuinely, genuinely nice. She was there with Candace. I didn't really meet Candace, but I just was like struck by just how gorgeous they are. I mean, they are gorgeous women. And yeah. then Sharice was there, but she kind of, she was drinking a little too much. And I could tell Shasha was coming out, which actually was fun because she was up there <laughs> dancing as well. So like, it was a fun night. It's so hard to see where Monique and Candace are in their friendship now because, like, they were oh, real yes. friends, you know, hanging out off camera. They were. Uh, well, are you ready to break down this week's Potomac? I am. I am. I got. I got notes for it. So let's let's deep dive into this. Okay, it was we're a good gonna episode. go scene by scene because there is so much. Perfect. I feel like happened this episode, and I really feel a lot of like character development, you know? Um, yes. Each one of the women's storylines seemed to move along this episode. We were just given, you know, more glimpses into their 
kind of lives. So we see Giselle in the first scene helping Juan pick out a ring for Robin. And I was very proud of Juan for having a reasonable budget for an engagement ring. You know, these women talking about super expensive stuff. Juan and Robin have had a lot of financial difficulty. And the most important thing isn't a piece of jewelry, you know? So I'm I'm loving Juan this season. I am too. And he's so good to look at. He's good man candy for the show. And oh, he's beautiful. Like, I really like that. <laughs> oh, he's so, oh. And um, he just, I like that he's like toning it down because they already had like, I think they had like a big marriage before. It's like, this isn't like, it's like their first time. Like this is their, this is their second time. They're kind of reconnecting. So I think it's more about the actual commitment with them than it is actually about like the ring. And plus I had to laugh because they're at the Smythe Jewelers in Ellicott City. And like my sister gets her hair done right around there. So the minute we saw it, like I was watching with my sister, she was like, wait a minute, I get my hair done that wait a minute. I know where that's at. <laughs> and so I Googled it. I was like, oh, because it makes sense because, um, Juan and Robin live, I think they live in Hanover, which is near Rundle Mills Mall. And they're always in Ellicott City, like that bar where she had the wig on like two, last week yes, or the week before. That was, another That's viewer an was city. telling me, Amanda was saying that was in Ellicott City and she's been to that bar. Yes. So when I saw that, I was like looking at that and the minute I saw it where it has like those woods across the street, I was like, I know exactly where they're at too. And that had to have been like a half hour drive for Giselle. So that made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love the shots that they have of DC, though, and the whole area in between, like the B roll footage that they use is so great. Yes. It's so nice to watch the place that you live be showcased as cool and hip and beautiful. You know, it's not yes, LA, but I always. <laughs> Oh, yes. I always feel like with like a lot of the other Bravo podcast, they live in LA. So when they talk about Beverly Hills, like, like, I know Ben and Ronnie will be like, Oh, my God, I know where that restaurant is. So it's nice to like, I watch Potomac. And I'm like, they're my hometown girls, like, you know, because they're, they're all over like, Baltimore and DC. And like, I'm from I lived in both places. So it's like, I know exactly where that's at. Oh, my God, I've been in that restaurant. Like, the the scene with like the mime with between Jer- between um Karen and Giselle like two seasons ago or oh, last and Bethesda. season. Like, I yes, my friend actually works at that restaurant or did work at that restaurant. I remember him texting me that day, being like, "Um, the housewives are here," and I was like lit up. I'm like, "Tell me where." I think it's Black's Bar and Grill. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where they were at, and like he- I remember him texting me, and he was like, "None of the servers wanted to be on camera," and then they had like the mime <laughs> come in, and they like that scene was like. That was like one of the top 10 scenes, I think, on Bravo is that mime scene between those two women. Because it was so like they're fighting and then the mime comes in as like this like comic relief and they're not kept getting on the joke. Because like the mime comes in and talk and like you could see both Karen and Giselle like freak out. Like I love that part. <laughs> it was so funny. I used to eat there. Um, I used to work at the National Institutes of Health. And we would, on Fridays, we would sometimes walk into Bethesda and, you know, grab lunch somewhere. And I remember being there at, like, that exact table kind of out there on the outskirts of the patio. And I just was like, this is so funny. Um, Then we see Monique preparing for her third live podcast show for Not For Lazy Moms and Chris's godfather, Pearl is visiting, and he's a pastor who gives a lot of good advice. 
So she's saying the topic for this show is the redefined me. And she thinks that she's changed over the last few weeks. She's had a realization that she feels bad about the altercation that happened. But I think the hard part is that the women didn't see that scene with her and her pastor where she cries. And it's hard for her to explain to them, you know, that she truly does feel bad. So it's really, a you can see the like missed like signals, you know, between the women. Yes, it's, I almost wish producers would like, like when it comes back to the fight, I wish they would have like played them the video of the fight, like before they like edited it together. Almost because I feel like it would kind of, inform more of what is happening with the women because i feel like a lot of like the legal stuff might have been avoided if they showed them what was happening because i do like the the whole fight with between monique and candace i'm not on either side and it's so complicated and messy that like it's and both women are wrong so you really have i just have a hard time picking a side but I wish they would have like shown it because I mean, kind of break the fourth wall even more and showed them like the raw footage because it would make it, I feel like it would put those pieces together because it's, at the end of the day, they have to film a reality show. Like they're filming a show together. Cause that's where like, I will get into it later with Karen, but I almost feel like that's where Karen's trying to come from like behind the scenes, like self-producing, like she wants to produce a show. So it's just tough because Monique seemed to, at this point, truly believe that, you know, wine was thrown in her face and that she was reacting to that. And I have no reason to not believe her. She didn't get to rewatch it back. It was her experience. I think when you're in something, it's very different than watching it from the outside. And I don't think she had a reason to believe Giselle, who was telling her that's not how it happened, you know, Giselle Robin. Um, Even though it's not how it happened, you know, and what is the most disappointing to me was all of the stuff after where she's online and she's sharing her story with friends who then go on social media and perpetuate what she thinks is the truth, but what clearly isn't. And that just felt really unnecessary. You know what I mean? Yes. Oh, yeah. That was the hardest part like, <laughs> for me. Yeah, it, that's why, like, I see that. I'm just like, can can producers just show them, like, just, you know, bring out an iPad of the raw footage and just video um, them or put it in the show of them watching the fight back in, like, real time. Like, or show it during, like, the therapy session with Candace or show it with when Monique was with her pastor. So I feel like it would just it would just help along, like, kind of tying, like, the actual reality show part of it together. I also would assume that the Montgomery County prosecutor got access to that footage. They would have to. They would have to, like, subpoena it because they eventually did. I know I think we're going to see it, but I'm pretty sure that Monique counterfiles Mm -hmm. and then it's dropped. So I almost think that they had that, you know, they did subpoena the footage. They, they, They had to have. Yeah, it's it's interesting because Monique, I think, has come to the realization that she did something wrong. And then it's interesting, um, Chris's godfather, Pearl, is saying, you know, sometimes like when you're in a boxing ring and you get hit, you don't know you're hurt until later. It's like, 
when you're chopping food and you cut yourself with a really sharp knife, you don't really feel it right away. Oh, yeah, that's a good analogy. Yes. And I feel like it took Monique a little bit longer to realize the pain she was in and the pain that she caused. And I wish that she the sit down with the women was done later so she could better articulate how she was feeling because she was being honest with them saying she was embarrassed but didn't have remorse but that's because she hadn't take t- taken time to like you know process what had happened and so the women rightly so are angered by her lack of remorse and they're not thinking that she's evolving as time goes on so it's this like mismatch where they can't see her changing and and she can't explain to them clearly that she has, you know? Oh yeah, I totally get that. And uh, I know this is like a good fascinate a good fascination like with or a good view of what trauma does. Like I I mean I I push my disorder. I'm very like open about that and like I have my own instances with like homophobic trauma and just all that stuff and i kind of want and i i love watching an actual traumatic event like that and how how both women are like handling it because i actually do like i can see that i do believe monique when she says like i don't remember and this is what i remember because in that moment your brain's not like the memory's not being written correctly and i think the same thing with candace it's like they they both i can see both that this traumatizing event happened and then the way it's being written in their brain like both women, I can see both sides of it. And I can actually almost see myself in both women, which is why, again, it's hard for me to choose sides because I kind of can see both sides. That's interesting it's, to it's cool to relate it though to a traumatic event. Yes. Like it was. I think about because it it was. I mean, like, you know, it was it was a violent act. I mean, if you watch, I mean, it was cringy. Like it, you know, it was, I know Ryan Bailey says like, you watch these shows that like, you get like the, the flop sweat and like your nipples get hard and all that stuff. I was having that and cringing. And then it really like triggered me. Cause I have been in that situation. Like I have been, you know, queer bash before. And like, I had someone attack me um, like my senior year of high school and homeroom for being gay. And it was like a whole story. And I remember it took me about a week and a half to really process and actually understand what was happening. It was in my homeroom. Um, this kid like came in and he was saying, I, I was spreading a rumor that he was gay and I, I did it. And he thought it was me. And he just came in and like attacked me. And like, I remember I just up and left. And then um, like, it honestly took me about two, about a week and a half, two weeks to really figure out what was happening. And my friends were telling me what happened and like, I was like, no, 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 I don't remember that. And then mm-hmm. after like, you know, and then I had to like go back to school. Like I, I took like two days off and I had to go back to school, even though he was suspended. And then it was like this whole mess. But I just remember, like, I just put on that actor's face and just rolled through. So that's why like when it comes to Monique and she's like, I didn't realize what was happening. I completely understand that. Like she probably wasn't rationally thinking about it. I think, you know, she was still in that moment she's still probably reliving like you know that adrenaline that was pumping and like what was happening because if you go back and watch it she tried like you know it was almost like candace like after it happened they separated candace started again and then you saw like her adrenaline start pumping which was when like she did that like jack's you know shirtless rage lunge like, yeah through the back woods. at monique mm-hmm. that's what it were 
Oh yeah, because that's what it reminded me of was that the that chunky amazing sweater. flight in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Oh With yes, Frank. at that. Oh <laughs> exactly yes, what you're talking that was, about. I'm that's really, what it reminded me of. I'm really sorry that happened to you in high school. I I feel like. Um, but with both Candace and Monique, this triggered some sort of trauma from their childhood that was violent. I don't oh, know yes. if it was at school. I mean, Monique kind of alluded to getting in fights when she was younger with Candace. I don't know if her mom ever dragged we know her by her, her hair. Yeah. You know, like there was I know something. her mom has hit her. Yes. So her mom has hit her and with the purse. So then it makes me question like what else? Something like, you know, that doesn't just, that's not like a single event. Like that had, there had to be other stuff that happened. And I feel like also with her mother, there's also, I feel like there was a little bit of like emotional abuse maybe going on. Like oh, I don't want to like take this from the TV, but <laughs> there was something going on with that that I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm like, you know, and I think it brought all that stuff back up for both women. And it's like on top of processing the traumatic event, they're also bringing up processing all this like childhood trauma that this thing triggered and it it can get messy. And I just yeah. love that they like, they just have it on camera being open. Cause I really feel like with me, like through the fight and everything, like it actually is, it's, I feel like it's helping me process stuff, which I feel like is the goal. And that's where it's kind of like the theatrical relevance of reality TV comes back to it. It's, it's a catharsis. So you're like having this emotional purge from watching this conflict and kind of the aftermath of it. So that's why I'm like, I look, even though they fought, I don't like violence. I'm like, what positive thing can we use from it? And I feel like that's what it is. It's like, it's the catharsis of all that. It's interesting that we see parts of our lives on these shows. Like, I know a lot of people can't relate to Beverly Hills in general, but um, there is a couple scenes that with Kyle where she's getting a mammogram where she's very, very anxious. And yes, that is something I relate to because I have hospital associated PTSD, which took a very long time oh, yes. to diagnose. Um, I didn't you know, realize the traumatic effect of seeing my mother die in the hospital um, would have on me later when I had to be in the hospital. You know, it's just something you don't know is going to happen. And so seeing Kyle freak out, you know, being in a hospital, getting a test done, it just triggers the trauma of her mom being sick with cancer. And so, you know, a lot of these like shows there really is something in it that we can truly relate to it seems so ridiculous to see one woman grab another's weave and like you know throw her down but it's coming from somewhere she's so angry about something and i don't think it has that much to do with candace you know it just was easier to have candace be the target then her husband, then her children, then Giselle, oh, yes. who I think she truly was mad at. Oh, yeah. I think she was mad at Giselle. And I just think, you know, Candace was, like, pushing her. And I just think it was like, you know, it. I go back to therapy and it's like, you know, what is that one straw that breaks the camel's back? And I think Candace broke the camel's back, like broke Monique. And it just all that stuff came rushing out of her and it you know and it was explosive and that's what we saw on tv like with everything it's like all those build-up things with her husband i mean she even said that you know i just keep compartmentalizing it and eventually something's gonna break and you know i think her going are you gonna drag me monique and all that 
you know, and then with the, she was like, good night, good night. I think all that just, it broke her and it just, all that stuff came flooding out. And when it does, it's, it's pretty violent when it happens. So, you know, I was kind of watching it. I'm like, oh man, (laughs) it was amazing TV though, but um, so the next scene we see Karen and Ray see Ava Laura, a life coach, because Ray is anti-therapy and Karen is basically trying oh, that, uh, to get him to see anyone who is yes. basically a therapist without the title of a therapist. <laughs> Which I, I find that hilarious. It it really disappoints me that like he is so anti-therapy, but I mean, I feel like it's that generation. It's just like, they're so like there's such a stigma against therapy. And I'm like, I love, I wish I could see a therapist right now. Like I love therapy. So, and I like that she's going around it. Like she had the radio host and now she has the life coach. So I thought that was amazing. There's just a lot of people that aren't comfortable with it, that don't like it, that don't like sharing personal things about themselves with strangers, you know? Um, So I I get it. You know what I mean? But it's just... (laughs) So it turns out through this session, I feel like we learned so much that what she really wants from Ray is acknowledgement and appreciation for soldiering up and supporting him when he got into tax trouble. Like she supported him financially and emotionally during that time. And I feel like he didn't let her know how much that mattered. And instead, he's focusing on her not spending as much time with him because she's on the show and she's famous and he resents her. But I think what he really resents is the fact that his wife, a woman, had to take care of him and he's supposed to take care of her. I got those same exact vibes from all of that because it Mm -hmm. was like, you know, he I think she did come in and like pay off the stuff, you know, because I think he was trying to like be like, you know, just trying to like hide it from her. And I think, you know, it, it was kind of like, just put the tail between the legs, just go up and ask her for help. So, and I think that happened and happened off camera, but I do think there's resentment with that. And I do think Karen is like, she's valid in thinking that, like, I get that. And then, you know, I also think Ray just wants to retire. He just wants to go to Florida, you know, have (laughs) brunch every day on the golf course, you know, hit some holes or whatever they do with golf and, and just, live retired life whereas you know karen wants to you know be carriage she wants to be a housewife and a tv personality and i think she keeps calling herself a businesswoman which kind of cracks me up it's kind of like kardashian businesswoman where it's like you just slap your name on something and boom but i mean she does have a valid thing as a housewife i mean that is a tv personality so yeah a lot of opportunities come in her way Um, And the thing that cracked me up about that was Karen kept looking directly into the camera. Like, if you watch it, she's, like, talking to the therapist, and then she would look over at the camera. And I was just like, she's telling us something. Like, it's almost like an aside in a way. It's like, she kept looking into the camera when she was talking about Ray. Like, it's something that I saw that I kept, like, I even took, like, several notes about it. I'm like, why is she looking into the camera? It's like, she's trying to, like, tell us something. But I, I can't figure out what she was telling us. It was, I noticed that too. It's like she wants us to see that this is the problem. It actually has to go back. It's on him and it's the tax issue. It's not about her. He's like saying it's something different, you know? So then we get to see Wendy at her house with her kids. Oh, yes. She's fixing a bottle for baby Cameron, gives her the other kids a little bit of milk, I guess. Um, 
And then she invites the ladies, minus Monique, to her Wine with Wendy event, um, which is a gathering of black women from the DMV area who are movers and shakers to make positive change in the community and discuss the upcoming 2020 election. Now, two things about this. One, I love that they're saying the DMV because everyone who lives here calls it that. So that means... D.C., Maryland, Virginia. So the DMV is what we all call it. And the other thing, I love that they were able to get this episode in before the election. This was taped a year ago, but it was just, it's on so many people's minds. And um, I was just really excited to get to see this part of Wendy. Yes, I love Dr. Wendy. I, I absolutely love her, like, I keep watching like Trump and he he's a reality show personality that became president. Like, and he keeps using reality show theatrics for political theater like that. The the first debate was he was pulling like all his reality show theatrics. It felt more like a Vanderpump rules reunion on that first debate. So I feel like Dr. Wendy like knows this and she's seeing like this kind of, reality show theatrics for political theater and that's why i think she kind of joined the show like i mean she's intelligent i think she she picks up on that and that's why like i love her so much because i'm like i know she's seeing that i know she's seeing the connection she's getting on tv and i love that she's elevating the show in that way of like doing like you know being so active about voters about voting and the importance of it and all that stuff like it really she really shows that you know, she's getting what is happening kind of like in this age of Trump and using those reality show theatrics and having a reality show president. And these women on Potomac are politically engaged and do discuss these issues. And just for whatever reason, it hasn't really been prominent on camera until this season, mainly because of Wendy and her profession and kind of gives them a reason to talk about it. But if you, you know, follow them on Instagram, and you see their stories, they're talking about these issues, you know, well before the election, well before you know, any reason other than it really matters to them. And I like because this is in the DMV, like politics is a huge part of the cities that we live in, you know? Oh, it's just yes. such a part of our culture. It's it's not just, oh, you know, you go vote. It's like everything about politics. So... Oh, yes. I mean, our, in D.C., like, the main industry is all government. Like, it's our nation's capital. So it's, it would be weird if they had, like, a Real Housewives in that area and they didn't talk about politics. Like, I know on, like, the Real Housewives of D.C., I, I wish they would re-air it because I feel like I actually went back and rewatched it about the, uh, last summer. And I was kind of like, if it aired today, I feel like it would it would actually pop off. Like, it was actually really good. It was kind of crazy, but... It's one of those things where, yeah, it's like, even though it's Potomac, it's D.C. and the DMV and yeah. you know, the main industry is government. So, yeah. Who do you what do you think the people who live in Potomac do for a living? They're not all former NFL players. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, they you know, they're going to be like high up people who, you know, work at, you know, I don't know, like top lobbying for different firms. Government agents. Yeah. Yes. And political affiliated people and all sorts of stuff. And then we see Wendy call Candace to check in on her. And Candace was saying that she's been having many panic attacks, um, especially because of the lies about her on social media, saying it's all coming from Monique's camp. I have a few thoughts on this. Um, Yeah. (laughs) One is that 
I do think there is a really toxic part of social media and reality TV. And like, we're watching this as fans. And if you have really nasty things to say, like going after people on social media, tagging them, it's really horrific. And it's kind of taken some of the fun out of just viewing. A good example is the Bachelor franchise. And people, you know, when someone's a villain on the show, it's not just that they're a villain. When the show re-airs, they get so many death threats and many people become suicidal. It's just, it's wild how far it gets taken. And I do feel like Candace was pushed on social media to a really negative place as a result of this. Yes. Well, at the same time, Candace is someone who contributes to toxicity online. So that's what's hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because she's going on there. I mean, you, they showed the text messages. I mean, she was calling Ashley like a roach and stuff. And oh, yeah. I mean, I know that, you know, so calling someone, especially a Black person, a roach, that is like really bad. Like, I was, when I read that, I was like, whoa, that, mm, that's not good. And so it's like she contributed to, and I almost feel like with that scene, I feel like she was living and like trying of like processing her own shame that like she contributed to it. Like I know with just with the drag world on some of the Queens that go on like drag race. I mean, several Queens have had to like go into therapy and actually check themselves in because of the level of hate that they were receiving. And it's like, you know, I know with reality shows, it's like the second show is on social media and people are just vicious. And it just, it's something that it just, it's nice to see it reliving out on this show. And I feel like Candace is also grappling with the fact that she contributed and she was toxic on social media. So I don't, I don't think I agree with you. I don't think she has the capability to acknowledge that she plays a role in the toxic environment. I feel like she only views herself through a victim lens and she cannot acknowledge her own wrongdoings. I do. I do. Yep, I can completely see that. I do. I do agree with that. Definitely. Cause it, now that I think about it, I don't, cause she is, I, cause when I saw that, like my grandmother has a saying, she's like, Oh, let me get my little teeny violin pity party. It kind of felt very, <laughs> yes, it's the world like, smiles pity violin. party. <laughs> yes. Like with like that pity party, like victim mentality. And, but then it's like, you know, I was waiting for producers to like bring up those, like show us a flash of like that roach Twitter, like tweet or something. Right. So, I like, was I'm waiting like, can for we, that can producers too. troll her? Yeah. I, I wonder if it'll be brought up at the reunion because I feel like. Oh, I can't wait. Could this, could she get it? Like finally, hey, the nasty things that you call people online impact them in real life the way that you've been impacted by the nasty things people have called you. Yes. I don't know. I, I hope she gets it. But then again, you know, we've kind of watched this on Vanderpump Rules and I'm like, she might not. But I know with Candace, I get this feeling like this might be her last season. Yeah. I just, something just tells me, I'm like, she came in, you know, hot and burning bright, but I feel like she's going to die because I feel like she... She's not getting it. It's like, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And she's been sprinting her way through the Real Housewives of Potomac. Like, oh, she's... yeah. I think two or three season in and it's like, okay, like, it. you're running she's out of steam. She's out of steam. steam. Mm-hmm. 
Then we see Giselle driving Jamal to the airport. Um, I was wondering oh, which yeah. airport, you know, are they going to go to BWI or National? <laughs> it was, I think it was National. It was national. I think they were driving, yeah, they were driving down the GW Parkway because I was like trying to spot it. And I'm like, mm. and then I loved how Jamal was like, you're speeding because I feel like everyone speeds down the GW Parkway. <laughs> Everybody speeds and I, I never do. And I always feel like someone's mm-hmm. on my tail and I'm like, stop it. Oh, yeah. Trying to go 40 miles an hour like it tells you to. It's like, I'm like, there are park police and, you know, cops everywhere. I'm like, I'm not getting a ticket here. And I'm pretty sure there's speed cameras, like, when it gets to, to like, Arlington, yes. where, like, where the airport is. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, slow it down. I'm not playing that game. I also can tell you're from the D.C. area because you called it National Airport. Yes. No one calls it Reagan. <laughs> if you're really, if you're really from here. Mm-hmm. You call it either uh, DCA or national. So, yep. Um, and so they have this like talk about their long distance relationship. And he said he was giving Ugh. her space to prioritize her individuality. And she said she didn't want to lose herself. I guess when they started dating again, she's like, I don't want to lose me and you and me because she clearly did the first time. And, um, but then she says, well, in your mind, in my mind, we're together no matter what. And he says that this is the first time she's actually vocalized her true feelings about their future to him. So I don't yeah. like Jamal. I don't like looking at them together, knowing that their children disapprove of the relationship. And I yeah. feel like this is such a performance, you know, for yes, the viewers. I- <laughs> I hate him. Like he is so, he is like just garbage to me. Like I, you know, I, I wasn't familiar with him. Like when he was in Baltimore, but I do remember there was like little glimpses. Like I know that I've heard his name before. Like it's in my brain. I just can't think of where. And then I went into like deep dive. I know Monty said stuff about him and you had a few people on your podcast talk about it. And then I looked into it and I was like, he is just, I don't like that. And I feel like he almost is saying like, you know, if you want to be with me, move, give up your life. Cause I, I feel like he's like, he wants to be the star. He wants to be the center of attention. And he, you know, he doesn't like that. She is a housewife now and that she actually is making it like, that's kind of how it read to me. So it just, I did not like, and they're still hooking up. Like she was on watch what happens live after the show. And when, after Cynthia's wedding, um, she went back to the hotel and Andy said something shady about, was it Jamal? Cause she said something like, I have, I have to, do, I was doing something. And Andy was like, was it Jamal? And she smiled. And then like, they had this back and forth. So they're still actively like at least hooking up. Well, they're together. They're dating still. Yeah. So. Oh, they're still dating. Okay. That's what I Ooh, think. That's dark. She also Ooh, that's dark. admitted on Watch What Happens Live that she left Cynthia's wedding early because people weren't wearing masks or distancing. Oh Yeah. I can't believe they even Cynthia even let that like so wedding happen. I was like that. Mm. <laughs> At least like with Kelly Dodd, it was outside, and that you kind of expect. With Cynthia, I was not expecting her to to do that. I was like, and so many people were in attendance, and I'm curious if Bravo will actually film it and put it on the show. So I heard that they pulled out of filming it a few days beforehand. Oh, okay. So even though that makes sense, it wasn't against Georgia state health guidelines. I think they realized that they were filming like a potential super spreader event and didn't want, you know, to do that. And it was probably dangerous for the crew, which is what I I think would be the number one reason not to film. 
because you saw social media pictures. I mean, I think um, like several housewives were there. Who was it? Sheree was there barefoot with no mask on walking around. And I'm like, and there were other people with she, no mask. She had and... coronavirus. So she's likely immune for the oh, next few did. months. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, but still, it's like <laughs> yeah. she should probably, you know, exhibit good behavior. But yeah, no, she's not really at risk of getting it, you know, right now. Yeah. But Karen was wearing just that face shield. And I was like, Honey, you're breathing the same uh, air, and oh no! I'm like, you know, uh, yeah. I'm like, can we put a mask on underneath that? <laughs> like, please, and I'm please. thinking, I'm like, are they flying? <laughs> like, what? What's going? It just, yeah, they ooh. all flew in, and I don't think the flying is as dangerous as you know being unmasked in an indoor space with 250 people. That's the danger. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Aye, aye, aye. So then we get oh, yeah. to Monique's live podcast and we get this great footage of the lovely Moni from Mixing with oh, Moni. Yes. She's in the audience and she's sipping tea, or at least appears to when be I tea. When I saw her, <laughs> uh, when I saw her, I queened out. I was like, oh, there she is. Ooh, yes. I was queening out. She was wearing this beautiful, like, pink top with these, like, sh- like ruffly shoulders. And I was like, yes, girl, you're looking good. I was um, at work. <laughs> so the only person who shows up to support Monique is Ashley. And Karen uh, didn't end up going because she said she wasn't feeling well this morning. And I think Monique was frustrated because Monique showed up to Karen's La Dame fragrance launch eight and a half months pregnant. But I think if Karen really wasn't feeling well, all of us understand now after COVID that if you don't feel good, you shouldn't go somewhere in public. <laughs> so, exactly. This was pre-COVID. And she texted her way <laughs> early that morning. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, she texted at, like, 6.30 a.m., I think Monique said. So I'm like, she probably woke up, wasn't feeling good. And I kind yeah. of get it. Like, you know, it happens. I don't mm-hmm. think there's reason to believe Karen was lying. I don't think she would lie about that. So. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, Monique was saying that she's changed and Ashley is witnessing it, that she feels iced out by these women. At the end of the day, Candace didn't deserve what happened. And then she's saying, you know, in her confessional, they want to see about like talking about the women that you've changed, but then they don't want to show up to see it. And again, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where there's just like a mismatch between what she's sharing on film with the viewers and what the other women are getting to see. It's just not, you know, lining up. And, and then, that's, yeah. That's when I wish they would have, like, showed them the footage. Because I feel like a lot of those holes that we're spotting, it would have been cleared up. Like, at that, like, they should have waited a little bit longer for, like, Monique to process more stuff. And then at that sit-down, producers should have, like, you know, rolled up, like, on Karen's TV, like, this is what happened. And and let's watch us watch them watch the actual footage and then go from there. Like, I almost felt like with that whole episode, I feel like that would have been like a great little, because a great little thing, because us as the audience, we're getting the flashbacks, whereas they're not. So I'm like, why can't they, like, producers do that? I think they've committed to not breaking the fourth wall as much as possible. And so that's sort of... You know, they they want the reunion to be the reunion because they've seen the footage that they didn't see while they were living it, you know? Yes. And then but I know at the reunion oh, mm-hmm. they have oh at the reunion they have so much other stuff they can go on. So I I get that, but I feel like with a lot of these shows, 
like I love that they're leaning into breaking the fourth wall because it's like it's so gratifying to watch but I do get that they're like still trying to toy the line with it but I'm like I'm all about like let's bust open the door let's see all the stuff because on Beverly Hills I feel like they're fighting about stuff about being on the show because they're all actors and whatnot so I feel like it would like elude it would I feel like it would just be better about the storytelling part of it. I know. Brian Moylan's been saying that for a while. Like, we all watch the show, and we all know that the women are on the show, and it's okay to break the fourth wall and talk about the show. Like, let's talk about the contracts. Let's talk about them fighting about money. You know? All of it. Oh, yeah. Because that's why I think everyone was so mad at Denise, was because it was about contractual obligation of the show and it's like just break it and let let's see all that messy drama and with if they brought Vanderpump back or they started filming like you know in my head I wish they would do like just completely make it about instead of being servers at a restaurant be about being reality stars on Vanderpump rules and just completely open that fourth wall and show them because I'm sure there's been some nasty fights about like shooting because you know Jax is texting people like I don't want to film with you like let's see all those nasty texts <laughs> and whatnot yeah. so um and then so ashley then lets it not lets it slip she tells monique on purpose that karen actually told candace that if it were her that she would have pressed charges against monique and monique is very taken aback by this because up until this point karen has been very supportive of her so that was interesting to see ashley making her paycheck I know she's she's, just, she's, she's back to stirring that pot. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, she's earning her paycheck from being on the show. Definitely, I was the minute she started, I was like, "There's Ashley. There's that messy girl I love." <laughs> <laughs> and then we have a a, scene, a really nice, heartwarming scene with Juan, Robin, the boys, and her parents. They're going bowling, and when she's in the bathroom, he lets all of them know that he plans to propose again. So I don't oh, have yeah. a whole lot to Mustang share. Mustang Alley that just i know know, i just i i loved where they were at it's called mustang alley it's on bond street in baltimore i saw and i was like oh i know exactly where they are because robin films and wendy too they're always in baltimore like i'm watching it and that's why like monty says that wendy like she thinks that she lives in rockville i almost think that dr wendy lives like more in like howard county or like columbia or like laurel or more closer to baltimore because she's filmed with robin in baltimore and then you know, she had that book signing, and then later in, in the episode, they're in like Locust Point in Baltimore, and then so that's why you know, and then Robin's always there. So, and her house to me felt like it was very like Columbia, like Howard County. I so. so too, it didn't seem as Rockville, but and she also you know works at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. There is a campus in D.C., but that not the um, department that she works in. Oh, yeah. So she's always involved. I mean, the, there was a book signing earlier in the season, everything. It's like, you know, and she was with she did a, a solo scene with Robin, who I mean, Robin is always in Baltimore. I mean, they're at Mustang Alley. So that's Baltimore. So yeah, I love seeing a good Baltimore girl, though. I'm like, yes, Baltimore hometown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. So then we finally get to my favorite part of the episode, which is the wine with Wendy. And um Robin <laughs> Robin walks in with this wig that all the other women think is terrible. It's auburn mm. and curly. It doesn't really go with her skin tone. It just doesn't. It's just not a good wig. 
And Candace with a read. It was. She was saying, are you hiding from the IRS? Like, just pay your taxes. (laughs) (laughs) And then she said, like, um, if you were to burn it, she's like, it would burn because it's synthetic. The minute she came on there, like, I know a lot about wigs. And I'm looking. I'm like, why is she in a hard front? Like, I was like, synthetic. I was it, it made me laugh. And then all the girls were reading her. And I'm like, do we have to go back to Giselle's wigs? She's had a few oh, iffy with the wigs. And... <laughs> yes. And then she before. had one earlier. Oh, yeah. She had one earlier in the season when she was with her. Um, I forget his name. Who does, Her hairstylist. That, yes. And it's like, and then Ashley had a bad one. And then going back to Katie and just her entire, I think, season four wig choices was just a hot mess but let's hope she gets the help she she needs <laughs> it was so funny seeing them all make fun. i bet yes. robin was getting a kick out of it because she can laugh at herself oh um, yes and so the women who are participating in this event are bringing up policy issues that matter to them you know talking about violence and um you know resources for black business owners and then I really loved this part where Wendy is role playing how to engage an elected official where she is the delegate, the representative, and the other women are, you know, asking her questions. And so one of the women asks about the lack of funding for HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities. And Wendy, um, you know, responds the way that a lot of politicians would. It's about a lack of funding for all colleges and universities. And, you know, the women, no, no, I asked you about HBCUs. And so she's kind of working with them on how to hold elected officials accountable. And, like, this is a huge part of my passion for, like, what I do for work, um, although it involves, like, public health and government. You know, it's still about accountability. It's still about encouraging representatives to, to make decisions that you think are the right decisions. And I just loved this. <laughs> I just absolutely I, I can't, can't say too. enough good things i I absolutely like the the best way to like teach people is to actually like have them role play like so like the fact that she was role playing like that i was like she's doing like such a good service and kind of views and i also got happy because that also it's like a form of theater and i was like oh my theater kid brain got happy and i was like you know that's why like when it goes back to dr wendy why i think she understands a lot of like the reality show theatrics and political theater like she to me was demonstrating that she has a basis of theater that she understands and she knows the importance of it and how to use it so when she did that i was like clapping because i was like yes like this is amazing i know and so much of politics is theater you know we're watching a lot of it play out right now on the national media but what I really like and when she's explaining to us, which I hope she gets the chance to explain to her mom is her passion. And she's saying that she wants to use the platform that she has to help people navigate through the political process. And like, it is not easy to navigate through the United States political process. It is intimidating. A lot of people have imposter syndrome. They think that if they're not quote unquote important or smart or whatever, they don't think that they are, that they can't have their voice heard and they can't engage. And the truth is you just need to learn the tools of engagement and that's why it's so empowering to see people learn those tools and force, you know, the engagement and force holding their elected officials accountable. And 
what I really was like, I was like cheering at my screen when she's saying, you know, it's not just the White House, it's local elections. Like, you want to know why so many black men are being thrown in jail? Like, look at who your state's attorney is. You know, you know, you want to know why, you know, black and brown kids are disciplined harsher? Like, look at your school board. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Like, come on, you know, it's like it. And this conversation is like that she's bringing up with everything is so important right now. And I love that, like, we're like, you know, about a week out from the election and that episode aired because I'm like, it's so important. And it's like using just the this reality show platform, like for such good. It just all around the board. I was like tens across the board. I love it. Like, it's so needed right now. It's so needed. Um, but then, of course, they get back to some of that housewives drama where Candace pulls Karen aside, and then Giselle oh, yes. is such a little shitster. So Wendy told Giselle, I think, kind oh, of, my God. you know, yeah. like, hey, when we were staying at the lake in Monique's lake house, you know, Karen got real drunk, and she mentioned that she put up half her money to bail out Ray. And I don't think Wendy was like gossiping i think she's just saying something that karen said and it was kind of shocking to her and giselle makes this a whole thing and you can see all the women like looking at each other like this is a bad idea um so yes you know giselle brings us up on camera robin says what you and i had been thinking earlier which is messing with ray's ego and his pride and that's why they're having issues wendy says she's you know supportive of karen she's saying as women that's what we do we soldier for our men and um giselle's really just weaponizing this piece of information and kind of painting it as karen is struggling and she wants to be a friend and help her out and wendy's looking at her like why are you going to approach her about this? And then oh, yeah. Ashley even says, maybe it would be better coming from Candace. And, you know, just, I was like, well, her and Candace aren't doing so well right now. And then you see yeah, Candace and Karen's whole thing. But I mean, what do you think? Oh, yeah, when I they just, went downstairs. I just took I just... Giselle as being so messy. Yes. And it's like Giselle does a good job at like self-producing. She tries to be like the Bethany Frankel of the show, but it's like, she still hasn't even five season in fully grasped what she's doing. Cause when she starts doing it, I'm just like, you're so transparent. Like, and I think some of the shock was like, I think the other ladies were like picking up on like, okay, we see what you're doing Giselle, but you're being a little sloppy about it like it almost it reminded me of like lisa renna sometimes when she's a little sloppy it's like you it's so transparent whereas with bethany it's not as transparent because it kind of was that moment with like the fourth wall breaking again and like i kind of feel like with karen like why she's neutral i don't think karen in her mind is as good friends with either rob with um with candace or monique as she's portraying on the show like they're kind of co-workers with a little bit of friendship and i feel like she's trying to do the same thing as giselle and i feel like giselle is trying to is picking up on that and just she's like i'm gonna do it as well but i'm steering in my direction so i feel like you have this like off-camera tension about self-producing between karen and giselle that they always have for like five seasons going on yeah it's the sort of epic frenemy relationship um, but I do yes. think that Karen is genuinely friends with Candace and Monique and that she's 
played sort yeah. of a mentorship role with them, like in being involved in the show. And that has evolved into a friendship, you know, with just with this sort yes. of motherly sort of relationship. But, you know, Candace is really upset that she says that Karen's coddling Monique and she's being too soft with her. And Karen, <laughs> I love Karen in this. She's like, <laughs> you are brilliant. Your mind is so powerful, but so is your mouth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes. she's insulted that Candace is questioning her on this, you know, explains, hey, last season, I was doing this to you. I was coddling you. And that she's supporting Monique, how she would support Candace if, you know, the roles were reversed. Um, so that was just not great. <laughs> Yeah. Like, and oh, I, no. I, oh, yeah. And I love that Karen, like, I felt like she kind of captured what I was thinking. Like, I was kind of thinking that. And then when she said that, she's like, you're brilliant. Your mind is great. But sometimes your mouth isn't like when she said that line, I was like, that's exactly what I'm thinking and kind of how I'm processing everything with Candace is it's like, you know, you you do like you use your mouth and you get very aggressive and antagonizing with it. Like, so I yeah. love it. It was that nice little nod. And then they kind of go back to the upstairs portion. And Ashley's explaining why she supports Monique. And she said that Monique and Chris Samuels were honest about what happened with Michael last year. And they didn't lie. And so that made me think, okay, maybe Monique and Chris did have camera footage of Michael grabbing a producer's ass and didn't give it up. I think they did, too. Because, I mean, their house, I mean, most of those houses have top-notch security systems. Like, I have someone in my family that works uh, for a security company and has done houses that are, like, on the in Potomac and in that magnitude. And, I mean, he's saying, like, every inch of those houses, there are cameras. You don't, like, especially outside, like, you can't walk up to the house without a camera seeing it. So I think they do have footage. Because we just had that footage come out a few weeks ago about... Um, him grabbing or Michael grabbing um, someone's ass in the first season. And we actually can see it. So I think this is a problem and like this problematic behavior of pattern that happens with Michael that I feel like, you know, I definitely feel like they do have the footage and I, yeah, what you were saying, I just lost my train of thought, but with all that, it's like, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. It's just, I think Monique was loyal to Ashley when she didn't need to be. And so Ashley is being loyal yes. to Monique when she doesn't need to be either. Um, yeah. and, and Ashley, like, Ashley, like, if it wasn't for Chris um, Bassett, like, Candace's husband, Ashley would have had a butter knife in her at that town, at the townhouse. <laughs> so it's like, Ashley still has a lot of that resentment to- from, I, towards Candace. So that's why I think she's definitely like, I'm going to go with Monique with this one. I don't know if she has that much like resentment. I think she just thinks Candace lacks the ability to, I don't know, see herself clearly and to acknowledge any wrongdoing ever. Like, I think she sees Candace as childlike and not having yes. any sort of growth. And Monique is more mature, a mother, and is at least acknowledging in front of Ashley, hey, I, I messed up. And, you know, I think yes. you don't really hear that from Candace ever. So I can see where why Ashley is supporting Monique. Um, 
And then Wendy shows up to back up Candace while she's talking to Karen. Oh, earning her paycheck. (laughs) They get into it, you know, and, you know, they think Monique is justifying what happened, saying a drink was thrown on her. And that is totally true. Like, I think the biggest Mm -hmm. issue with Monique is afterwards her telling the story about the drink being thrown and putting that narrative out there, which kind of messed up everything and made it seem as if she wasn't sorry for what she did. And Karen says something's wrong with Monique medically. And I like, I appreciate oh. her supporting <laughs> that. Like maybe there is something mm-hmm. wrong, you know? Oh yeah. I actually took that note too. Cause I'm like, you know, this is, I mean, PTSD and like the trauma side, that is a medical issue. Like it's a mental yeah illness and it's a mental processing thing so i love that karen was putting you know the medical term to it kind of breaking the stigma like hey like they are processing stuff and it it is a medical issue and and it really shows that like karen has a level of emotional intelligence that i don't think people really see but i've always thought that she had it because i remember when she was bringing up like the like one of her traumatic experiences i think when she was like sexually assaulted or something like the way she came about with everything with michael last season was it came from a place of emotional intelligence which i was like so you've had therapy you've worked on that which i really appreciated You're right. I think Karen is one of the most emotionally intelligent housewives that we've seen. And she doesn't show it as often. But man, she she really she knows herself. So, you know, she she said, yeah, "Mm -hmm. I want to see the medical records or (laughs) she said something like that. I think I have it quoted. I I made me laugh because I'm like, work, Karen. Yes. She's like, let's wait to see what the, you know, doctors say. But you know, Karen's mm-hmm. saying she's always held Monique accountable, and there is footage of that. And um, she tells Wendy, as educated as you are, you sound ignorant, which is yes. <laughs> not something to say to Dr. <laughs> Wendy. <laughs> I know. It's like one of the things I'm like, mm. <laughs> it's something I want to know what happened between yeah. with like with Dr. Wendy and Karen, because I'm like, there's something that happened that I think happened off camera that we're not seeing, like even maybe before Wendy got on the show that I I, want to see like as the season plays out what their back history is. Cause I feel like they had a spat in their, when they ran into each other, but before the show that I think is coming on. So I feel it too. Right. Like, I don't know. There's also this, I feel like Karen, the certain things that Wendy likes to discuss like Wendy's passion is politics. And you hear earlier, Ashley's asking Karen, like, are you into politics? They've never asked you. And Karen says she doesn't like to talk about it. Um, And yeah. so maybe she doesn't like that Wendy is bringing, I don't know, this like political side in, as opposed to them talking about Potomac and society, which is kind of how the show started. It's just maybe she doesn't think yeah. Wendy lives up to what she thinks a Potomac housewife should be. But I feel like it's kind of like with that, it's like something happened for her to call her ignorant. Because I feel like, you know, Dr. Wendy is showing like this elevation of the housewives. And I must feel like Karen might have this like resentment towards that. Like she's kind of evolving this franchise, whereas Karen's like the grand dame. So I kind of feel like it's a little bit of like the ego driven with a little bit of Karen. But then... I also feel like something happened at like a charity board meeting or something because I think they fight towards the end of the season. They get into like an argument or or it goes on. They have more conflict. So 
I want to see how that play all plays out. Yeah. And we all know it's been set up by Giselle making it sound like Wendy's gossiping about about Karen, which I don't think she was. Um, And then, you know, Karen, and I think the viewers really support Karen in this. She's saying, I won't be badgered into submission and to like agreeing with anyone's opinion. She holds her own. And I think viewers don't like seeing a gang up. And so it's nice to see how Potomac is so different than Beverly Hills when they don't all think the exact same way, you know? Yeah, because I feel like, you know, Giselle is like, okay, she did this. Let's get Monique off the show because I don't think Giselle has ever liked Monique. I I remember when Monique first came on, she was like, how many houses you have? Like, she was being very shady and they never got along. And I feel like when... Um, Monique did that and when she that whole altercation happened I thought Giselle was like up oh, you just hung yourself you're, you're sunk I want you off the show because then she was bringing in that bodyguard and I feel like Karen sees that and doesn't want that to happen so I kind of feel like there's that more of that like you know self-producing going on with Karen where she's like no you're not kicking off the show we're shooting the show she's a cast member you know and I don't want that to happen like let's finish this season out so mm-hmm. I kind of feel like there's that at play as well so there's so many different angles. And, you know, Karen, at the end of this conversation with Candace is hurt. And, you know, she's saying that she's hurt. And then Candace is like, but I'm hurt. I'm the one who was attacked. And just goes back to Candace viewing herself as a perpetual victim in every situation, which makes Mm -hmm. her unlikable, and makes it hard for people to side with her, even when she is the victim. (sighs) Yes. And it's one of those things where I'm like, it's that whole pity party. It's like, I wish she would just come out and just acknowledge, be like, yeah, I'm messy. Like I antagonized it because going back and watching the fight, the thing that like sticks out so much is like they produce, the producers removed Monique in that stairwell with that like hot producer. And like, you can still hear, you know, Candace in the other room, she calling her like a hood rat and stuff, like amping her up. And that's when like she came in and I, I keep remember, it's like, you finally got her removed. And then Candace kept using her mouth and amped Monique up And it was like, you know, I kind of wish she would have just said, okay, and just removed herself, but she didn't. And that's, it goes back to that. I'm just like, oh, come on. (laughs) I know. And then they show scenes for next week. And I feel like the only thing better than an episode of Real Housewives of Potomac is scenes from next week on the Real Housewives of Potomac. It's always Uh, so good. It's so, I can put a note. I said, uh, when Candace and Monique, a rusty ass bitch in that bone chilling voiceover. I w- it gave me like chills. I was like, oh, and I think we're going to start seeing like the not the real Candace, but we're definitely going to start seeing the sh- tide shift with Candace. I feel like because that was bone chilling, especially to call someone a rusty ass bitch. Like those are fighting words. Like those are those are intense words to be calling someone. Like, and the way she said it was so sinister and so villainous that I, I mean, it was, it was just bone chilling. It'll be interesting to see the countersuit because if Monique still truly believes that she had a wine glass thrown at her, maybe she is confused as to why Candace is the one. I don't know. Who knows? But, you know, I just, I'm really sad that it got to that point because I feel like they could have de-escalated and I, I put the onus on Monique I think she could have de-escalated everything by reaching out to Candace but she 
was just not processing what she had done at the, within the time frame yes. that she should have in order mm-hmm. to de-escalate the situation. You know, and with Kate, I mean, you can clearly see that Dorothy, her mother, I feel like she's the one that came in and was like, "Okay, we're pressing charges." Like, because there was that scene at the um, at the the dog pound, and that's when it. Oh, that and then afterwards, that was when she filed charges and went to the uh, Montgomery County Courthouse. So it kind of was like you can kind of see Dorothy at work, kind of like doing a puppet master to Candace in a way that kind of disappointed me because I was like, I really wonder if Dorothy was in the picture. I feel like it would have got resolved a little bit easier. I feel like because once it got legal, I mean, I think the lawyer, I think Monique's lawyer was like, do not contact him, which is pretty standard with that type of situation. So I'm I'm very fascinated to see how this plays out because I want to see the fight that happens between Ashley and Candace that leads into a, a brawl with um, Michael and Chris because that happens later in, yeah. in like the preview. I want to know what happens there. I think because the mid season trailer made it seem like Candace made a statement on behalf of Monique, and I don't know if it was like a character statement or what. And you know, I think Candace took it as you're going against me rather than her protecting Monique from further legal problems and potentially going to jail. Although I think that would be a really unlikely outcome for someone without a history of violent behavior. You know what I mean? But still, it is a risk. And so I think Candace is livid that Ashley like does this legal thing on Monique's behalf. Um, Oh, yeah. So, And I almost wonder if Ashley's going to call Candace out on her victim mentality. Because, like, something triggers all of that. That, And I, I want to know what triggers that is if she actually calls her out on it. Because I feel like Ashley would do something like that. Like, Ashley would, you know, she's a little messy. She would, she would play like that, so. Yeah, she is so... She's messy, but in a way that I love. Like, I feel like Ashley has been running a marathon and Candace has been sprinting her way through this show. Like, Ashley is evolving and reinventing herself and new storylines and evolving in her own way. And Candace is just unable. She's like a hamster on a wheel, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, Uh, for sure. I totally get that. That's why I just, I really feel like this is going to be Candace's last season. Like, I want to know how they're going to film the reunion because Candace has said, I think she went on Wendy Williams and said she will not film with Monique. She will not be in a room with her ever again. So I don't know what's going to happen at this reunion. I hope it's an in-person reunion, but we'll see about that. But um, like, I want to know what happens with that. Cause I, I don't, I don't think Candace will last much longer. I just, I just have that feeling and I, where I feel like Monique I don't know if she would leave or what would happen with her, but I definitely feel like she has a better chance of staying more than Candace. I do too. I do too. We'll see. I hope they have the reunion in person. I feel like with the rates of COVID in the Maryland DC area are relatively low and they could, you know, do what they did with New York, test everyone, have them sit 10 feet apart, wear masks until they're speaking and go from Mm -hmm. there. Oh, and their space is big enough where they can have like a huge spread out thing. So, you know, we'll see. And I mean, and, and Andy can just like drive down with production. So it's not right. like they have to get on a plane or anything. Right. Yeah. Um, 
Well, this was so fun, Derek. I just love chatting with you. I love picking your theater brain. This has been so fun. So tell us a few things. First, tell everyone where they can find you on social media. And then where can we see your drag performances? Are there any online ones? Yes. Okay. Okay, so you can find me. Uh, my stage name, my drag name is Zenobia Darling. So all my social media handles are Zenobia Darling on Instagram and Twitter. Twitter's where I like to spat off my theater stuff. And then Instagram kind of has like all like the pictures and fun stuff. Um, I have a kind of episodic solo performance. Um, I kind of come from the brand of theater of like Kathy Griffin, uh, Joan Rivers, like Justin Martindale kind of. So I kind of have this like stand up uh, solo performance show on my YouTube uh, channel at Zenobia Darling called Zenobia Darling Art Influencer. I think I have six episodes on there. Um, I don't have any drag bookings yet um, just because drag is still, it's still iffy about that, but I kind of do the live stuff. And then, and with the virtual shows, I always have them on my YouTube. So if you go to my YouTube, Zenobia Darling and search it, I think I have like three or four performances that were in virtual shows over the summer on there. So I know I'm a huge Gaga and a huge Madonna lover. So that's kind of where you find it. But oh yeah, like and subscribe, follow all that fun stuff. Yeah, I will link to your YouTube page in the notes for this episode, for sure. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. There are little like your John Watersy, like kind of solo performance, but you have good I have good drag and like, it keeps my skills sharp, which, you know, I so desperately need with like this, like, you know, year off from theater. So <laughs> I know I can't wait for theater to be back. Oh, I can't wait either. I just like the Zoom theater I love, but it's just the magic it's so hard to capture. And there's something about the live in-person theater that I just, I miss so much. So they're saying March, possibly May, but we don't know what it's going to look like. But I mean, theater artists are scrappy people and so are drag performers. So it's going to evolve. And like, you know, we're still doing stuff virtually. So yeah, it should be good. Once the weather gets warmer again, I'm sure there can be some outdoor things and Mm -hmm. hopefully as 2021 progresses things get safer and we can do some stuff indoors again you know oh yes i can't wait i can't wait to go out and just i just want to like dance to like chromatica lady gaga's new album like it just like rave again with it like in drag performing having fun so yeah but this was so much fun this was so fun derek you have to come on again especially if vanderpump rules ever ever starts oh yes vanderpump (laughs) rules is a masterpiece i could oh i could talk about it i know laura marie shane holes is like she's like my gemini twin flame like i love her so like you know so yeah vanderpump rules i'm a pump head i try to be like queen pump head and my drag character is very like she's very like uh, a bravo star she's very she's a bravo celebrity she's very real housewives but like a baltimore like if john waters casted a real housewives of baltimore zenobia darling would be on there so zenobia darling well thank you so much i can't wait to see your performances and we will have to talk soon yes thank you yeah Nine one one, what's your emergency? Huracanes, huracanes, 
Señora, ¿me está diciendo que un tren le pegó a una camioneta? Sí, yo pensé que el que se había cruzado el hijo iba rápido, creo, y después... ¡Ay, Dios mío, qué horror! No puedes saber a qué velocidad viene un tren. Por eso están los señalamientos de advertencia. Obedécelos. Alto, el tren no para. Mensaje de Netza. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous walrus, the bulbous walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl and a foul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.